بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والآقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلت سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته رتيو فوكس سو إن شاء الله uh, today we hope to uh, probably cover the completion of the second raka'ah and maybe get, maybe, maybe just get uh, effectively the tashahud, uh, the tashahud itself. Nice to see you, Mahboub, from Sweden, mashallah, sallamakallah. Yeah, put the notes up, Lala. So what we'll be doing today will be his statement uh, well, ثم وبنصرها ويحلق إبحامها مع الوسطى ويشير بسبابتها في تشهده ويبسط 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 اليسرى. Alright, down. So he then pray, uh, then he stands up straight off the balls of his feet whilst uttering the takbir, depending only upon his knees if possible. He then prays the second unit like the first one. Except that there's no tahrima, no istiftah, no ta'awwud, and no renewing of the intention. Then he sits muftarishan with his two hands on his thighs, clenching up the little finger and ring finger of the right hand, whilst creating a circle with his thumb and middle finger, and pointing with his, with his index finger during his tashahud. The left hand is kept, is kept flat. The left hand is kept flat. It is the ring finger, yeah, this one? Yeah? Uh, so that's the first thing And then he stands up straight off the balls of his feet We did that last week, right? Um, whilst uttering the uh, takbir um, Depending only upon his knees Obviously that's the humbly position as position of the majority But what we didn't Well, no, we did And then we said that uh, However, according to some of the humblies And according to the Shafi'i school There is a, a sitting So you wouldn't stand up straight Yeah? You'd sit down that's called the jalsa or the jilsa to istiraha. Both are acceptable, jilsa and jalsa from an Arabic language. And that uh, you would sit for that little pause, that little bit of a rest. And our class position is that this is not a sunnah. Our class position is that this was something that the Prophet ﷺ did because he needed to as he grew older and as he put on more weight. And we believe that's acceptable if a person does that for that reason. But we also believe it's acceptable if a person feel, for, uh, fulfills, uh, holds it to be the sunnah. Right? But for a person to continuously do it, it's be str- a bit strange. A person to continuously do it would be, would be yani, you know, because even the folks who consider it to be a sunnah have got to admit that it was very rarely taken from the Prophet ﷺ. It was not something which was very common. And they will also see that the, anyone who wants to do this regularly, even if you were to argue, no, the hadith is there, so we have to assume he did it regularly, وسلم, then we say, okay, then we look to the companions. We looked at the companions to see if they did it regularly. 
And if they don't, then we've got to ask a question. Now, listen, I want to just interject here for a second and ask, how are we meant to understand properly certain actions and lack of actions by the companions? Right? So if I say to you that, and this point I'm going to make is going to become quite relevant, not just for today, not just for what I'm about to mention, but also in the next couple of weeks when it comes to the finger. When it comes to the discussion of the finger and how it should be in the tashahud, okay, whether it should move, whether it should go up, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, whether it should, as in the Shafi'i school, stay up and then remain up, whether as in the Hanbali school, it starts at the beginning and it stands up, whether in the Maliki school, it gets turned like that, whether as Ibn Qayyim and Ibn Uthaymeen say that it will move and it will make dua as it moves, whether the others, yani, you will see them moving it all the time. All of these have some kind of indication and sunnah and hadith that it is either directly or indirectly implicating these positions. That's why there's such a difference of opinion amongst the four schools of thought and beyond that as well on the issue of the movement of the finger. At times like this, sometimes you've got to step outside of the legal box and start thinking for yourself and say, all right, there are certain things that we um, have to just assume. First of all, the companions, they are not there for every single prayer. So things which are done rarely, there's a large chance of being missed. All right? But things which are done regularly, and then the companions not doing them, we get suspicious. So the movement of the finger is something which is happening in every single prayer, five times a day, in front of all the companions. If we are, we're going to make this argument, I'm going to make this argument later. I don't believe in the legislation of this movement of the finger. I accept the argument of those who do, but I don't believe it is the correct position or the sunnah. My argument is going to be that, you know, one companion missing this, Yani, on one day I get it. But Yani, a whole load of the senior companions of the Prophet ﷺ not reporting en masse in hundreds and hundreds of athar that we saw the finger of the Prophet ﷺ moving like this in the prayer, that's saying to me that this is not a very common action. Now this is not a legal argument, but it's a kind of like a pseudo-usuli argument. It's an argument that you would go to when we can't solve the original kind of problem. You get what I'm trying to say? When we're not able to agree on the kind of direct and immediate kind of interactions concerning hadith and authenticity and so on, then we start thinking outside the box and adding these points. Now, this is important because this is sensitive. Because um, is it an evidence? Well, we do believe that there is a, a legal evidence in the consensus of the companions. We call it ijma'ah. Yeah, so we say that when we're not trying to establish a rule, we look in the Qur'an, and if not in the Qur'an, then we look in the sunnah, and if we can't find it in the sunnah, then we look to the ijma'ah, which is the consensus of the companions. Ijma'ah al-Sahaba. But we find a lot of the time that we don't find ijma'a al-Sahaba in a lot of things. We don't find the consensus of the Sahaba in a number of things. In actual fact, the consensus of the Sahaba is rare. The consensus of any other generation is nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. In fact, actually, you'll see a lot of the later scholars, they used to quote and claim that any claim of ijma'a is basically a weak one. One of the amazing things that Imam al-Nawawi I don't want to say weakened his legacy because it'd be impossible to say that because he's a giant and will remain so. But if you're going to say what was his most common criticized trait, right? It was the fact that he would claim ijma'a like regular. I don't want to say all the time, but regularly claimed ijma'a in things that there wasn't nowhere near ijma'a, right? So ijma'a is a difficult thing to achieve, and 
in the earlier generations, it's easier to, to spot and to determine because we know all the identities of the companions and their positions and whatever. So we can see it easier. We can achieve it yani, or understand whether it was real or not. I'm not going to get into the issues of whether ijma' has to be verbal or whether there's ijma' sukuti, which is the implied ijma' because you didn't hear a dissenting voice. That's what's called an implied ijma'. But I just want to say it's, it's difficult. Now that's important. Yeah. Just a question on what the definition of ijma'a is. Is it a certain percentage of people? I mean, what is it? Is it three or four people agreeing? 90% of people agreeing? Yeah, it's a good question because, because obviously 100% is virtually impossible. And there's always someone who's going to dissent. So it's virtually everyone. It's not, there's no such thing as a three, uh, uh, four, you know, uh, 96, 97. It's nothing like that. And it's not as, uh, as lenient as what we said when it comes to 51%, for example. So it's a bit like an English law, beyond reasonable doubt. It's beyond reasonable doubt. It's, yani, it's a, but it's a living thing. It's mm. not a cold statement, oh, yeah. right? So for example, we will give the older companions a far greater weight than the younger companions, right? So it's not just a numbers game. There's a quality thing going on as well. There's a time thing going on as well. And I want to just say actually that the questions that you raise also would make people understand that the concept of Ijma is a controversial one, right? As students of knowledge, you need to know that, all right? To the masses, we don't bring up this controversy. To the masses, we keep it nice and simple. Basic Muslims, we keep it simple. We say ijma is a religious is, is a religious uh, ruling in of itself. It's a it's a it's a legislated it's a divine evidence. We say it has a divine strength. Okay, but what you need to know a lot of the reasons you know when we're having that discussion about the Quran and so on and about how it was gathered, etc. A lot of people think that the problem and the, the fitna in terms of, you know, what's confusing and, controver and controversial is actually about the subject itself. Actually, no, it's far more fundamental. The more fundamental question is, what is ijma' aslan? The more fundamental question is, is that can we disagree with a couple of companions? The more fundamental, yani without we getting into aqidah or Qur'an or whatever, just the fundamental concept of ijma' is not as straightforward as you may, as may, as you may think. And when you study these issues, you find that out more and more. Uh, but... Anyway, keeping it simple, ijma'a, and when I say study these issues, I mean at the top level. I mean, again, we don't need to confuse everyone. Just like Yanni, we decided, you know what, let's not confuse folks about the Quran issue. It was gathered like that, collected like this, keep it as that. Then likewise, ijma'a, we should understand that, you know what it is, it's, if it's, a, it's, a, it's a blessed uh, function, it's important, we use it a lot, and it doesn't need to be absolute everyone, but the vast majority. And so much so that we don't even need to know the names or whatever. In fact, most of the time, and that's why, that's why, you know, these issues, they come to the fore when the academics of the Western world get involved. You see, the academics of the Western world, you know, they don't even have anything to stand on because, you know, first of all, they're not claiming that their civilization is a divine one. And the ones that are trying to defend Christianity, well, they haven't got a leg to stand on because theirs is a complete nonsense, right? So what is their value? Their value is, is they bring certain principles and certain, uh, 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 certain, uh, not, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, rigor. They bring rigor and standards to our debate, right? So when we put the principle forward, they're saying, right, well, let's test your principle according to your standards. You know what I'm trying to say? And so when they come, so they're the most critical of our concept of, 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 of ijma'a. And they will go into what about he said and who said and whatever, which is also why in advance we've already kind of covered that. 
we do have the concept of ijma' sukuti, yani, which is a silent ijma', which is basically that we don't need to have every companion to put their hands up and say, yes, we agree. We just need to have no one say no. All right? The absence of a, uh, a problem or a difference, which is fine. Legally, it's fine. Okay? But I'm saying that that's the reason we have this kind of detail. And this discussion is the more you go deep into usul and history, then you appreciate it. Now, I want to make the point that, and this is going to become important later, you know, the value of, um, but when we talk about the, the, jalsa, the jalsa to l-istiraha, we are seeing an absence of this act as a continual practice act amongst the senior companions. And that, although that is not an evidence, and it doesn't mean that we should stop doing the sunnah because the sunnah is a sunnah at the end of the day. It's certainly something that is food for thought. It certainly makes us think, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't such a common act that we think it is. And maybe we shouldn't be doing it all. At the very least, you shouldn't be doing it all the time. Yeah, how are you going to go full in without missing a single act doing it all the time and you're seeing the large majority of the companions, they are not doing it. Uh, 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 someone asked the question, the Salat al-Duha, is it an established sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Something that is to be continuously practiced every day, regularly. It is, يعني, you know, something mutadawam, يعني, continuous act. And it's an interesting question. Actually, you're probably thinking, you know, what kind of question is that? Of course it's sunnah. Actually, you'd be interested to hear, or you should be interested to hear, first of all, that there are not many direct evidences, if any, of the Prophet ﷺ being observed praying it. The only kind of majority hadith of, or asal for the act of al-duha is the wasiyah of the Prophet ﷺ. His famous advice to Abu Huraira, who said that my friend, he advised me to three things, to not leave three things, one of those is the duha. So there's no doubt in legislating it. We know that it is legislated, it is sahih, it is a prayer to be prayed. But that's a separate question to what the question is asking. The person who's asking this question clearly knows what he's talking about. Do we have a hadith that states and shows that they saw the, the Prophet ﷺ praying it every single day without fail, etc., etc.? Answer is probably no rather than yes. Okay, in terms of that direct yani, observation. But does that mean that he didn't? No, it doesn't mean that he didn't. Similar to the idea that just because we don't have a hadith which says that he prays it every day does not negate that he prayed it every day. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And especially when he says such a strong statement that I advise you to do this, we don't necessarily need further hadith that shows him praying it, although they would have helped. It didn't help Abdullah ibn Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, we know is from the most... Uh, what? on top, yani focusing, observant of the companions, right? Very, uh, 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 yeah, haris, yani, oh, I, even, I, can, I need the English word. Zealous. zealous, yeah, very zealous, very, yani, you know, really on top, motivated to copy the exact detailed sunnahs of the Prophet ﷺ, and even those things that were not even clear to be sunnah, he's happy to take him as a sunnah, and so on. And yet he used to criticize yeah, in a strong word, but he used to like uh, not consider the duha prayer to be a sunnah. He didn't used to pray it. Actually, I take that statement back. I don't know whether he used to pray it. 
but I can only assume that he didn't pray it because why would he criticize an act and then pray it? But, and he did not used to consider it to be an established sunnah of the Prophet because he's not seeing it. He's not seeing it. Okay? So this argument is not without basis. However, we know there's not even a shadow of a doubt about it. It's well established. Hadith is sahih. There are other companions praying it. And we also know that companions miss out on things. That's something which is important. We said that theory a couple of weeks ago about Abdullah bin Mas'ud and him doing tatbiq with his hands between his knees. And the idea that some said that he never stopped doing that even when he got to Iraq. Meaning that he, I mean, it sounds crazy, right? But I mean, that he didn't see the Prophet ﷺ go back onto his It's possible. It's possible. But a bit far-fetched. But there are others which are clear. It is very possible. I mean, I don't want to get into this one now because I've already gone one tangent. I don't want to do a tangent upon a tangent. But Jum'ah, uh, people are always, always asking about is there sunnah after Jum'ah? Is there sunnah before Jum'ah? And the majority position, or not the majority, the, 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 uh, the hadith make it clear there's no sunnah before uh, Jum'ah. No doubt about it. Even though the Hanafi school is the strongest on it that it has got to be and there are some, etc, etc. But there, there's no hadith that make it clear that there's definitely a sunnah before. And even afterwards, a big discussion. Certainly not yani, six and eight and God knows what, but two and maybe two more possibly. Some of the companions said that no more than two and some said that none. And Aisha said, yes, I used to see him pray too when he used to come home, right, after Jum'ah. So there's a discussion there. You've got to be aware that there, there is a very real aspect in our deen. As students of knowledge, you've got to be aware that there are, uh, 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 you've got to understand that there are, in our tradition, the companions miss things, aren't aware of things, misinterpret things, have their own opinion on things, agree on things, don't agree on things. And that's got to be part of our scholastic endeavor. That our academic approach to our deen has got to take account of this. Sometimes we take an indication from it, sometimes we kind of step back. The companions, uh, 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 when it comes to duha uh, prayer, we're comfortable, it's established. We accept and concede that it might not be something that is regularly done. We completely accept that it's possible that Abdullah bin Umar wouldn't see it. Why would he see it? He's not related to the Prophet He does not go into his house. And this is a kind of the prayer of the house. We know that the Prophet doesn't like to pray the sunnah prayers in the masjid. That's the fard location. When it comes to the other types of prayers, we're looking to the female, the female wives, we're talking the, the wives of the Prophet and we're looking at the servants. We're looking at Anas. We want his little input and he, does, he gives great input. He was young inside the house and so he narrates hadith for many, many years afterwards. So we want to, we want to see what he says on these issues. He travels with the Prophet We want to see what he says. He goes to battle with the Prophet We want to see what he says. We want to see what the wives are saying in the nighttime, right? When he wakes up, daytime, what he's doing. So we know that he, it's, a, it's a prayer that's done, but it can't be missed. In this chapter, one of the most uh, uh, clearest uh, stories is the story of Umar ibn al-Khattab, okay? And I'm sure that I was, I was I sh I'm sure that I saw it somewhere actually recently. Is it in this notes? Because it'd be nice, Yanni, to actually. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yanni, subhanAllah. When in the, in the Imara of uh, Omar, Ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, when
Yeah, when he entered Sham, when he entered uh, uh, yani the Fili Palestine region, yani, uh, uh, Palestine, Syria, it was more Syria at that time, when he entered it, there was a plague, right? And Ta'un. And so once he knew about that, then he basically said no one should enter yani, you know, this land, quarantine the, basically the area. He quarantined it. And Abu Ubaidah, okay, radiallahu anhu, he said to him, yani, you guys are yani, afiraran min qadrillah. You guys are running yani, from the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like, you're going to die anyway. This is yani, just another way of, of people definitely going to die. I mean, you're running away from his qadr. That was his statement. And you know his famous response, yani, you, uh, you know, we run from the qadr of Allah to the qadr of Allah. Right? Umar said that. Right? He's been put on the spot. The point to take is that he's put on the spot with an intellectual common sense question, right? Like, you know, uh, you, you can, it's folly what you're doing. You know, you're gonna, you, you could die on the way back, Yanni, what are you trying to do? And he's kind of said, well, no, this is something that you do. You'd protect yourself. We're running from the Qadr of Allah to the Qadr of Allah. It doesn't mean we kill ourselves, okay? And then he immediately went to the, onto the member and he pronounced it to the people that this is my ruling. I've made it clear, make sure you tell everybody, right, that I want this to be a quarantined region, okay? And I believe that this is the Qadr of Allah. But he's reflecting upon it. He's not sure. You see, he's made his own ijtihad here, right? And he says, if there's anyone that knows anything different, then let them come to me and uh, tell me. And Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiallahu anhu, he stood up and he said, I bear witness that I heard directly that the Messenger of Allah said that if you hear if you hear about a land that has plague, then don't go towards it. And if it happens, and whilst you're in it, then don't leave that land either. And Umar said, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Meaning that my ishtihad fell in line with the sunnah of the Prophet Now listen, we expect that from Umar, the guy's a genius. Yani, we know that. He was not just a genius, actually he was unique in his decision-making and every time it being proven correct. Like every time. By Allah, sometimes directly in the Quran, three, four ayats in the Quran revealed just to confirm Umar's positions. And then at other times, just his ijtihad, yani, because of hadith that he finds out. Umar from the Qibar Sahaba, Qibar, early Muslims, senior Muslims, yeah, you might argue, but hold on, Umar is the one person who missed out a lot of stuff. That's true. We know about that, right? We know that he didn't live locally. We know that he travels in and out, in and out, and we know that he's likely to miss a couple of things. But then he did put in measures to, you know, to swap information whenever he got the chance. So anyway, my point is, is that it's important for us to be, I, I don't want to say mature, like as if we're immature on the issue, but I, it is important for us as students of knowledge to understand that the companions themselves, they have a role in our law. The numbers have a role, their practice, their lack of practice. It should make us think in a wider, deeper kind of uh, fashion. So in any case, I want to say that we should not continue to be doing the Jalsatul Istiraha non-stop all the time when the companions don't do it. And I'm saying that even if you believe it to be a sunnah. All right. If you're going to get up, if you're going to get up, I want to mention something about Al-Ajan. The Prophet Sallallahu there's a hadith which is narrated, and it's not very authentic, 
Okay, but this I wanted to explain to you what ajan is because it is important. This hadith yani was uh, has become very popular in modern times, last like 50 years, whatever, because of the kind of more comparative fiqh approach. That the Prophet ﷺ, he used to do ajan in the prayer. He used to depend upon his hands when he would get up. Okay, he would depend upon his hands upon when he, when he used to get up. The second part says depend upon his hands. The first part says that he used to do ajan. Ajan, as the Arabs will know, or the Arab women will certainly know, I don't know about the Arab men. Ajan is, when you knead the dough. Okay? So when you're doing it, you know, if when, the, when the old school girls, I don't know what the modern millennials do, because they, they don't want to break their nails, do they? Yeah? We've finished now. We've got a machine for that now. Rotimatic. Roti flipping matic. I swear, if you get any idea of getting rotimatic in now, yeah. I've got Baji in here. Again, if you come two weeks in a row, I don't know what's happening. I don't know, should I be happy or should I be sad? I'm being watched. She can watch, but she's not getting rotimatic, I tell you right now. There's no flipping need for rotimatic. <laughs> I'm not having it. We're just losing the whole. We're losing the whole game here. Anyway, I remember my mum because I certainly don't remember my wife here. Yeah, okay, but I remember my mum. She used to smack that one, bush, bush, and you know how it is, you know. Because my dad loves his chapati, so she'd miskina have to make a huge, big flipping dabba of it. You know what I'm saying? Right? If I, if I, if I had that much dough, that would last us a month. These little rats don't even eat that chapati anymore. They just eat bread and, you know, a bloody naan from flipping. Pitta bloody bread. Pitta bread. And the custom, Lala, chief came in at the right time. Chief chopped these women. Yeah, they're eating pita bread and naan and stuff. What happened to flipping chapatis, bro? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Once the chief is gone, he's gone. Rotimatic is all over. Once the chief has said, Rotimatic is all over. That's it then. Don't you dare tell me Sid's gone to Rotimatic, bro. Did you hear that? Baji said the chief's better half. I mean chief's better half. The chief's lesser half. This is the chief we're talking about. Has never made him a roti in his life. Now I put to you. I saw Sid today. You do realize I saw Sid today. And if I had known that. I would not have let her leave like that. But anyway. I mean, I don't know, Yara. When you... Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> this is where it all starts. This, two minutes is what it takes. This is where it starts. First of all, it's about kneading. What about my nails? It goes from nails to what the heck are you going to be doing? Why can't you make your own roti? Le, <laughs> Is that how it's said properly, yeah? No, say it properly. How is it meant to say? Le. 
Yeah? You're lucky you don't understand Punjabi because I just, yeah, and it was the perfect Punjabi response. Let me tell you that my dad used, no, no, that's a skill, isn't it? It's a skill. I didn't have it. I tried. Wallahi <laughs> Baji, I did persevere. Yeah, exactly. It's about persevering. And then you'd have to go turn to pita bread. It's about persevering. It's the balance between perseverance and dying. <laughs> and I chose life. <laughs> Shukr alhamdulillah. So back to the point where the men were winning before Yanni, you know what I'm saying? Mace is like, I don't even understand what's going on. <laughs> and Yasmin wants to behave. By the way, Yasmin, respect to Yasmin, she put her, her surname. Yeah, the rest of you Pakis, yeah? Nabila, where's your surname? And there's someone at least who doesn't even have a flipping name. <laughs> can you, and, and ask me a question. You can dream about your question about menstruation. That's what you can do. No name. How did he even register without a name? That's what I want to know. But anyway, back to the point. We have lost the art of needing dough. It's going to go, it's going to disappear. It, it's not that hard, isn't it that bad? Huh? No, you mean it, it's, it's not going to go? All right. I, I think there's a skill, you know. There is something. Oh, okay, okay. All right, then if you know, you know, then that's all right. Then as long as you know there's a skill and you're going to do your best to preserve it, I'm happy with that. I just don't want it to disappear. Because I know I should, I should take it up, yeah? Keep it alive, yeah? Yes. I should keep it alive. But no one eats it. 15, 16. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, the chief has put a challenge out. The chief has put a challenge out. Put your hand up if you need your dough. And, uh, listen, just listen. We're not talking about when you make your little fairy cakes. Right? I don't talk about some temporary bakwas. I'm talking about asli. What do you call it, by the way? Atta. Yeah. I'm talking about asli atta work. Proper. Put your hand up if you if you do it, not done it before once. Do it. He's absolutely right. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. Completely ignored. One, two, three, four, five. I'm not, I'm, you're not dis uh, disqualified. You're definitely disqualified. I don't know what that is. You're not thinking, yeah, I did it three times. <laughs> I did it three times. So I'm going to try and pretend. Yeah? Right? And you've, no, you've never done it ever. Okay, you've done it and you said, you know, I'm never doing it again. Yeah. All right. So you're right. You can't have the donut. You either do it or you don't do it. The chief's on the, on the, listen, the chief is taking no prisoners. Why are you counting All right. Let's count on this side. Can I just say something? You're going down the wrong path because we have the greatest cook in history sitting right in front of me. How about that? That's good, yeah? Sah, sah, that's fantastic. I like what she says. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. I want to put to you this. When we do need our dough, oof, those chapatis, yeah? They don't get left behind, bro. That's what I'm saying. And I had chapati yesterday.
Hey. Now, like this. Bro, are you flipping kidding me? Have you seen the advert? That is my advert, that is. I'm a rock with smooth edges, like an under. All right, just see so, yeah, so Marina can relax and breathe again because I don't want her to hyperventilate, okay? How many of you people have needed the dough? One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, Hasib, you don't know? Say kasam. Sugar. At all. Because you get it from the Turkish uh, bakery, yeah? Where do you get the nuns? Uh, <laughs> the chief said, and where he gets them from, they're made by men. Which is true, by the way. Huh? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I think if we were to do a numbers thing, if it really makes you feel better, Marina, we, the men, make more roti than the women do. How about that? I'm saying to you that we do more. You mean, are you trying to argue that you should do more then? <laughs> if you're arguing for parity, yeah? That means obviously that you... To the ladies, to the ladies, to the ladies. Currently. The lads, have you ever done it in your life historically as a mistake, you know, or fell into it with your head? You know, you just fell into it or, yes, correct. You were three years old and we're actually with the colors and playing around. Well said, Marina. You spotted my, my gender bias. I'm so glad you finally called me out. Who but you know it is we've we've lost this whole debate. We've lost it. Anyway, back to the point. Hanufa, you wanna behave, of course we make more roti. Have and just think about it. Just do the numbers. Do the do the do the Are you here in this class or are you are you You see, this is what Nabila has said is the root of all of the problems. Millennials, they find a reason, right? They're blaming flipping arthritis, Yani. They're saying that we're not going to need no because we get arthritis. From needing dough. Yeah, from needing dough, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I give up, I give up, I give up, I give up anyway. Bro, bro, are you kidding me? I, if, if we were to do a simple equation and say all the roti cooked in a day, or none that are consumed, which will probably put at about what a hundred million, probably, right? If we counted a hundred million cons consumed rotis and look back to see who were the majority cooked by, it's men, of course it is. The fish. Yeah, I think they should. 
And they do? By accident. <laughs> right, okay. So, so anyway, this, the, the real issue is the Prophet used to do this ajan. And ajan obviously is kneading dough, which means that you get up on your fists. You get what I'm saying? It means that when you're getting up before you get off your fists. Now, the interesting thing here is that is this a normative action or is this an indication that you're getting weak and old? And is it a sunnah to do in uh, a, a normally? Or is it like, you know when you find some people, I don't know if you've noticed some people, um, you know actually if you're heavy, right? If you, not even heavy actually, your normal body weight. If you push yourself up off the floor because your legs are weak off a flat hand, it hurts your wrist more versus your wrists, your, your fists. Okay, if you, need to, if you need to push yourself up off the floor because you're finding it difficult to stand up. I'm talking about lift off push, yeah? When you need to physically get up. So you could interpret the hadith like that or you could interpret it as that this is actually the normal way that you get up without pushing yourself off, okay? So for example, what I mean by that, all right? is so if I'm in tashahud and I am now in such a weak position uh, you know I'm just weak everything okay I need to get up and I don't have anyone to help me I don't have nothing to help me okay and my legs are not strong enough I'm kind of going like that you know what I'm saying yeah I'm pushing off of my hands yep I know the camera can't see but just imagine now my hands are in a fist position okay and I'm you know, I'm just using my fists to help me push off. So in both of those scenarios, I'm using, I'm using my hands to help me, my fists to help me. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah. Now, what if I'm just getting up normal? Because the hadith make it clear, or the text makes it clear, and our position makes it clear that it's better to get up off of your own knees. Yes. Now what I just did, it wasn't off my own knees. Because we theoretically said that last week we, we corrected, is it showing now? It's not that important, I'll quickly if it's, 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 okay. So, so what we said last week is if a person gets up, then he's getting up yani, like this, yeah? His knees are, his hands are upon his knees as he gets up, but it doesn't have to be that you know, he can't touch the floor or anything like that. He, he can, you know, it's not about balancing act. It's about the fact that he's trying to get up with decorum and not make it look like, Yani, it's so hard work that I'm praying to you, Ya Allah, and you know, I'm doing you a favor. You know, that, that's the whole point, right? You're meant to show decorum and willingness and finesse and class in your prayer. So now that you stand up, okay, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you use your fists that you are seeking help from the floor. So this is what I would mean now. I'm going to use my fists, okay? For the people who can't see on the camera. You get my point? I used my fists, but I didn't push off. So I used my fists to get onto my, onto my knees. So I pushed only to there. Now that's not getting help. I'm not getting help. So some scholars interpreted the kneading aspect, the using of the fists only to go from here to, to there. And then you still get up, you know, with a bit of decorum and respect. The majority, though, I think they, when they talk about the ajan, they mean it that they're getting lift off from the floor. So they're kind of like this. 
you know, the, the, fi the, fist, the, 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 the fists are still on the floor, and I'm like, <sighs> like that kind of thing. And so from that point of view, I think it's, as the scholar said, it's allowed to use the fist. It's not only allowed, it should be introduced into the sunnah here and there, whether you are needing to or not, but you should include it. Is that clear? I just want to make that clear. That's a sunnah of the, of the, of the Prophet ﷺ. Even though the hadith itself, its establishment has always been a matter of discussion amongst the scholars. This hadith of the, of the, of the Ajan has been narrated by Abu Ishaq. Al-Harbi with a good chain. Something similar to that by Imam Al-Bayhaqi. This is from uh, Sheikh Al-Bani's book on the Fra'ah. And, um, but like I said, this hadith has never been from the most authentic of hadith. I just want to put that. Okay, a couple of issues that we want to clear up. A couple of uh, little kind of funny scenarios. First of all, what if your imam, okay, is someone who leads the prayer and he is, um, he does this jalsa fil istiraha and you're praying behind him. Yeah? The jalsa fil istiraha, you're praying behind him, should you follow him or not? You have to? Yes or no? Yes, you do have a choice. Why wouldn't you be have a choice? See that? That's the problem. I get cussed yani, for, for gender bias, yeah? Why the fish wouldn't Muhammad have a squatting issue? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? You see with that? Why are you judging other people? This is the problem. See, Marina, we don't judge the other gender like that. That's the problem. That's the problem, Marina. You don't yani, judge everyone, whereas we give everyone a fair platform. I think Muhammad has every right to ask squatting questions. In actual fact, I get asked more squatting questions from men than women. How about that? Yeah? yeah on squatting, yes. Because the girls don't have it to ask them, that's why. You see that? Because we don't judge people. We were never ever sent to judge the people like that. Gender, that, that whole gender judgment behavior, that's just not us. Not me, not me. Right, so, uh, so what do you think folks? Your Imam, let's do, do, let's do both scenarios, okay? Your Imam is doing Jalsa Fil Istiraha. Let's do that first, and second one is not. What should you do, if he does? Okay. Either do it or slow down. You know what, actually it's easier to do the other way around. Let's, do it, let's start with, with scenario A. That your imam does not believe that, like the vast majority of scholars, that there should be a jalsa fil istiraha. Stands up, okay? You, you believe it is. Yeah? So should you stay seated for your two seconds and stand up? Do you believe it is a sunnah? Yeah, I believe it's a sunnah. Not for a need. Not for a need. Okay. I believe it's a sunnah. The imam doesn't. They've all effectively said, Allahu Akbar, and he's now standing up on his second raka'ah. And me, I see it's a sunnah, so I've, you know, sat down for my one second, and now I'm getting up. Even if you believe it's a sunnah, do you think the imam takes precedence? Okay, so the imam takes precedence. Who agrees with that? Okay, the, so who thinks no, it shouldn't? Yeah, and you should do it yourself, yep. Because it's a sunnah. If you believe it to be a sunnah. So both, yani, have a, have a common sense. The first one, of course, is a stronger opinion. Why is the first one a stronger opinion? Because the Prophet ﷺ said that the Imam is there to be followed. 
The Prophet also, by saying that the Imam is to be followed, means that you should not delay actions when the Imam has already moved to another rukan and you're hanging around. The Imam is to be followed to such a degree that even if yani the tashahud, for example, we all know, is to be done in the second rak'ah, yes? And if you've, if you've joined the prayer late, let's say you joined the prayer in the second rak'ah of the Imam, you are going to end up doing your tashahud in your first rak'ah, but you will because you're following the Imam. You will change things to such a level that, for example, if the Imam makes a mistake, so classic scenario, the Im you sit down after two rak'ah to do tashahud, but the Imam stands up. He's forgot the tashahud. What do you do? Subhanallah, right? You say Subhanallah, Subhanallah, but the Imam, he stood up now, that's it. You've, you've attempted it, whatever. The point is, is that you've just seen him getting up or got up or whatever and you panic and you say, SubhanAllah, you know, it's definitely two, I've been counting, you've obviously forgotten, yeah? He either doesn't hear you or he ignores you. He has the right to. So what do you do? You stand up, knowing that he's doing it wrong. I'll go even further than that. The Prophet ﷺ said that if the Imam is sitting down in the prayer, then sit down in the prayer. This is the ruling that if your Imam, you know, he's sick or ill or whatever, then people should all pray sitting down. Okay, that's a Sunnah. Alright, from beginning to end. Right? That's a Rukan. To stand is a Rukan. So you are leaving a Rukan. So if we're leaving a Rukan for crying out loud, then what about something which at best is Mustahab? Agreed? And so no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. And that's what Shaykh Uthameen himself says, and he agrees with that position. But then he, he's going to say, and then, you know, the problem with this, with this statement is that it causes problems. Rafa'idain, for example. Let's say we're standing up from the second. Yep. And your Imam is Hanafi, doesn't raise his hand. And you do raise your hand. Should you not raise your hand? Or should you raise your hand? Good. I'm glad you said that. It's not going to stop you following him. They'll say, no, follow means to copy him in everything. We'll say, you can't copy him in everything. There's got to be an actual parameter to follow. Follow can't be just some unrestricted word. When we follow someone, it doesn't mean that we follow them in absolutely everything. Otherwise, we'd want to follow them in their surah, in the way that they make amount of tasbih, the types of tasbih, blah, 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 blah. Yani follow has got to have some kind of physical parameter. And the most common sense is time. The issue of getting ahead is the most important, of course. You mustn't get in front of your Imam. Whatever you're trying to do, you mustn't get in front of your Imam. Now you'll say, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to get in ahead. But that doesn't also mean that you intentionally get so far behind him as well. It's got to be on or just after as a natural reaction. So that up here then doesn't affect anything. So we're okay with that. But when it comes to this kind of sitting, you, are, you have got a problem. Anyway, answer to that question is that if the Imam does it, it doesn't do it, and you do do it, you shouldn't be behind an imam. You should stand up immediately and recite the Fatiha and uh, not yani, create a delay, which is absolutely unnecessary here. All right, yes? It's, it's difficult if you stand up here and say, I'm not sure imam. Like, like the example you said, this is Hanafi, right? Yeah. Most Muslims, they are very yep. traditional Hanafi. Yeah. So you're not going to say, I mean, correct. And if it's a mixed congregation, you don't stand up and say it quietly. Yep. 
do something disruptive or scary something that not everyone else is doing, it becomes a problem. So for the, for the sake of the microphone, all right, what Mu'min is saying is actually a very important point. He's bringing up the other wider issue, which is the Amin issue, all right? You're praying behind the Hanafi in a Hanafi mosque. You're the only one who believes that it's Maghrib and you're the only one who believes it should be said out loud. And should you say it out loud or not? Because to not say it out loud would be to follow the Imam. To say it loud is the Sunnah, right? And um, what should you do? This is an example of things which do not come into the point that we're talking about. So when it comes to the following of the Imam and not following of the Imam, right? If we are to include this as well, we create a big problem for ourselves. If we open this following concept so wide that we have to follow the very detailed legal opinions that individuals hold, that's not something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the taklif upon the matters. It's, 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 it's not possible to hold up because that by definition then does say that then in the quiet prayers you should then say the same surah or in the, or in the fatiha you should say the same amount and breathe the same amount and it just goes crazy. You start to lose control. And that's why I say that when it comes to the mutaba'at al-imam, the following of the imam, it's in general, it's the basic actions, the basic timings, the basic mechanical movements. That is what the hadith is indicating. So let's just make that clear first of all. Alright? That's why we say that the raising of the hands would not be a problem because it doesn't delay. But now let's look from a different angle. The different angle is, should I do an action which differs not with the imam, but with the people? Right? And that we know you shouldn't. Especially when the act is a sunnah. Raising the hands, for example, not really necessary if it's going to make you stick out and make people suspicious. And... Uh, the saying of Amin is even more than that because not only does it make you stick out, but it irritates people. Right? It irritates people. They don't have the right to be irritated. They don't have the right to be irritated. Whereupon the Sunnah, if you say Amin loud, that's clearly the position of the majority and the stronger evidence. But there is still space, or there's a there's a place in this religion for not, you know, putting your opinion first at the at the expense of the unity of the Muslims. And so we would leave the Amin and the raising of the hands possibly out of the aim of trying to achieve unity and not upset people not because of the technical hadith of following the imam or not because it doesn't actually affect the following of the imam or not so what you say is important but in a different category not in this particular category and the, the, like I said the saying of Amin and what, and that goes is a case by case basis that's not a basic that's not a general rule whereas the one of following the imam is a general rule to be applied all the time Whereas on the issue of raising the hands and whatever, you'll go to different Hanafi, ga Hanafi gatherings where they will be, they'll, they'll expect you to be doing that or they have a mixed congregation or whatever. This mosque here as is, is a good example. What is this mosque? How do you classify this mosque? On what basis do we classify a mosque even these days? Congregation numbers? How, how do we understand this mosque? Go on. What are the parameters we're going to use in a modern day to determine what a mosque is? Well, okay, let's look at the let's look at the let's look, let's look at the categories. Imam, congregation number, congregation important people, committee members, founding member, organization that you belong to. Huh? Language of the khutbah, 
Okay, what other parameters are there? That's an extension of, of what it is. Age group is a determining Yeah, age group could be like a determining factor. So you get what I'm saying, yeah, there's a number of factors that you look at that give you a clue of what it actually is, right? Which one of these legitimately has the right to be the dominating factor? I don't think it matters. It goes by the number of congregations. That's the actual fact. I mean, this mosque is a classic example. Its founding members were not Hanafi. They were a mixture. So when you look at the founding, you've got Saeed, Salim al-Sawani. You've got uh, uh, Lebanese, uh, what's his name? Fawzi, Fawzi Hafab, yeah, Fawzi, and it was uh, the Libyan, I forgot his name now, uh, thingy, anyway, whatever his name was, and Abdul Qayyum, Pakistani, Jumit al-Hadithi is, hardcore from the beginning, okay, like actual Hanafi, Hanafi pack, I think one person, or maybe two, if you include Tariq uh, Anwar, who's Abid's older brother, these were the original, and Asad Yani, the original guy as well, he was, he was kind of like Yani, you know, uh, he was not Hanafi, uh, to be honest. So in actual fact, if it comes to Hanafi members, one person, one person or two out of like seven or eight, and and that and, and and that and that number has kind of fluctuated by two, three, one, two, three, in always a number of seven or eight. However, the Imam, for the longest time, I have appointed the Imam myself, right? Mm. So I got Muhammad Ali to come here. He was here for I don't know how long he was there for. He's a uh, Shafi'i. Okay, and then Abdul Ghaffar after him, and he is his own guy, yeah, <laughs> right? Just changes according to the weather, right? <laughs> so, the vast majority of the years of that this has been standing, uh, a formal Imam have been non Hanafis. Before then, Salim al Sawani is the one who was our Imam. Everybody was happy with him to lead the Salah, and we still like him to lead the prayer. We consider him to be our, our Sheikh and our, uh, our, our Imam, and that's from the very beginning because he was the one who used to lead Taraweeh prayers yani, before it even was a masjid. Yani, just in little hiring little places here and there, he used to lead the Salah, then he came here. So in actual fact, I put to you, we've never even had the flippin' Hanafi Imam. Yeah, yeah, so we'll come to that in a second, we'll come to that in a second. However, so, 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 so wait, in this mosque, there is not a single shadow of a doubt amongst everyone, it's a Hanafi mosque. It's a fact. Because, because the front row, because that's why I said to you, <laughs> I, like, like, that's why, like I said to you, I said to you, the number of congregation, what did I say after that? I said the important people in the congregation. I gave it a, a, a separate category. Now, as Farah said, Chidu Mosque in the eyes of everybody else is seen as like this kind of modern, <laughs> progressive. Yeah, I and mean, they used to throw around the Salafi idea that it's a Salafi Mosque and they used to call it Ikhwani Mosque and they didn't, they're not even sure. For the most amount of time, it's known as a Jamaat Islami mosque. You know, kind of relaxed ish, whatever, whatnot. Which is the, the irony is, is that in this masjid, no one has any doubt. Uh, the Arabs have no doubt, Masaki. That's why they can't change the Tarawih. That's why they can't do nothing. <laughs> Africans, nothing. No one, nothing. Us lot, nothing. We have Yani these eight or nine olders, yeah? And that's the only people that matter in this mosque. They make the Imam change the way he prays, the way he, may, the way he makes dua, they make him pray with the prayer that he doesn't believe in. 
He has no idea at all how to do it. He learned it whilst he was here on the job. He like, I don't know how to do this. I sat him down and I, I remember that day I explained to him, this is the fiqh, this is how, this is what you don't do, this is what you do. Yani mental, mental. So the point is, is oh no, sorry, not mental, mental at all. Unacceptable, unacceptable. See, this is the important. You can't correct me on politically correct words. Why do you need to focus on that instead? Thank you, Sudad. Well, very nice. Next week. Yeah. All you need to do is just do the eyes. <laughs> See, he just looked at me. <laughs> See that? Powerful. Just very powerful. Without having to. Anyway. <laughs> so. So you see, you see what I'm saying? There's like eight or nine people, they've dominated this, the score from the beginning, and they always will. And the rest of the people aren't, couldn't be bothered, Yanni. You know, we're just like, whatever. But the point is, is that. I don't know what the point is anyway. What we're we talking about? But that's why people hold on to power so much. That's why there's so much politics around committees because they're so desperately trying to hold on to their original identity when they know that the vast majority of Muslims today they couldn't care less now for old school kind of titles and uh, whatever. Most masjids want to move forward to a chidu kind of model. They want, you know, just a relaxed approach. They just want to be able to understand what the Imam is saying. A bit of a cheeky little khutbah in English, you know, every once in a while. You know, uh, 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 you know. So, anyway, I, I don't know what the, what the point was of here. Yeah. Correct, correct, absolutely correct. But that, as I said, is a following and, and, uh, and a calibrating of your actions, which is not based upon the hadith of following the Imam. That's a general, as important, wider principle of not upsetting people, of, of accepting differences of opinion, of maintaining unity, which is important. Okay, so now that's other way around then, folks. Okay, what about a person who does do, the Imam does do the Jalfa? Should you do it then? Sheikh Uthameen says, yes, you have to. I have a major problem with that. I have a major problem with that. Huh? How do you know he's doing it? If he's, uh, that's the whole point. You don't know, do you? Yep. Yes, no, no, absolutely, you're right. You, you're right, you don't need to hear to know that he's got up and moving. But we, you see, this is why I'm really surprised that Sheikh Uthameen said this. With my, you know, he said that, I mean, the whole argument is just weak. And then he mentions a statement, he goes that you have to follow him because otherwise you're going to get up before the Imam and that's not impermissible. Well, okay, we're not going to get up in front of him then. Right, we're not going to get up. So that's what he tries to defend his position with. Then he, he changes tact and he says, okay, but if a person, he goes and maybe a person will say, okay, I'm not going to get up before him. I'm going to delay in the sajda. I'm going to delay in the sajda. And he then says, well, okay. Uh, so first of all, by the way, let me just make it clear. He says that if you said, I'm not going to follow the imam and I'm just going to get up, that's a haram act. Some will even say that it invalidates the prayer, which is a weak position, but it's a haram act. There's no doubt it's haram because you, you raise the imam and you beat the imam to a position which is completely impermissible in the prayer. So we know that. So you've done a haram. Now then he says, okay, I say to him, okay, then Shaykh, I'm not going to get up. 
But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remain in my sajda. All right? He's now saying, okay, if you remain in your sajda, you won't have done something which is haram, but you have left out a sunnah which is recommended, which is to follow the imam. And even that statement, that the first statement was weak in the first place, but the second one is even also weak. He goes, because if you were to see, if you were to see it as that it's not something which is mustahab, and the imam is not, then you've just, you, 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 in my opinion, listen, I don't want to even, even entertain that argument. I just find it strange. Because we already accept that when you're standing up, when you make the takbir, the takbir is not when you sit down. The takbir is when you're standing up. The imam shouldn't be making a takbir and sitting down. Right? The imam should be doing the takbir for standing up. There will be people, for example, that are at the back who might not know that the imam is sitting down. Like, let's assume the very best about this is imam. Let's assume that this imam is someone who sees the sunnah of this act, wants all of his people to follow him, knows that the majority of the masjid follow him, and so he then does do Allahu Akbar whilst he sits down, because he knows everybody behind me is used to it. How does he know everybody? How does he know the last five, six lines of new people who come in know about this, don't know about this, all they hate is takbir, they all stand up, and when they're standing up, they're seeing every single person sitting down, they all sit down, everybody stands up again. Yeah? <laughs> I've seen that happen, by the way. I've seen that happen with my own eyes. How about that? I've seen people at the back, they all stood up, and then they saw everybody sitting down, they all sat down, and then all the front people then stood back up again, they all stood back up again. Like I said, I think this position is weak. In my personal opinion, you go back to the illa, let's not differ with the imam in terms of time and so on, and if you don't do that, then you're fine. Okay, you just say, uh, wait for the imam, even if you know that he's making takbir in the wrong place, then you lay a bit in the sajda, I have no problem with that. And if you do know that he's making the takbir in the right place, but he sat down, well, I never lost out. I didn't have to get up. Ultimately, my, my next job is to get up to the next rukan. So if he's sitting there and relaxing and then saying, Allah Akbar, if he stands up, I'm just going to st stand up when he says Allah Akbar. I'm never going to get in front of the imam. never going to delay a rukan yani after the imam either. But I don't see a need for me to get up early and copy him. Allah knows best. Makes sense what I just said, yeah? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not completely agreed upon because these people, and these would be the only people, of course, that would argue, and they are the minority anyway. Because this is a minority action. Let's not forget. Yeah. This, yeah. So the holders, so the so the holders of this opinion, they would say that the tasbir is for the raising up from sajda. And they'd stop it right there. They'd say it doesn't matter what happens after the sajda, but it's from the raising after the sajda. We would add, on the way to standing up. Because we say that the takbir is takbir al-intiqal min al-rukan ila al-rukan. That the takbir of the moving, because there are two types of takbir. The tahrima, opening, which makes everything haram, <coughs> happens one only in the prayer. And then every other takbir is a takbir of intiqal, a takbir of movement. Movement from what to what? From rukan to rukan, not anything else. And if you make your takbir, Allahu Akbar, and you sit down, you've done takbir from rukan to sunnah. And the next rukan is to stand up. So it's got to be, even, even if a person does jalsa to istiraha, and in fairness, a lot of them do this, they do the takbir when they get up from the sitting. So they sit, and then they, Allahu Akbar. And that's what they should do, because it is the takbir from the in-between. 
neither there, neither there, but in between. Does that make sense what I said? One final mas'ala, uh, 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 yeah? No, no. One other mas'ala on the issue of tashahud, uh, uh, sorry, of jalsa til istiraha. What happens if a person who believes that it's the sunnah to sit down for jalsa til istiraha forgets? Okay? And, uh, sorry, forgets that he's in his first rak'ah. So he's in a prayer and he thinks he's in his second rak'ah. And he sits down for tashahud. Then he realizes, oh, sugar, I'm in my first rak'ah. Now, obviously, my guy who does it normally, he could black this, couldn't he? All he's got to do is just stand back up. Everybody's thinking he's sitting down for his jalsas and istiraha. Do you understand? You get my point, yeah? Yeah, a person praying alone or the imam. Or the imam, yeah? So, he does the jalsa normally. In the first rak'ah, instead of doing the jalsa, he thinks he's in his tashahud. So he's about to start his tashahud. Then he realizes, hold on, I'm in my first rak'ah, I've got to stand up. Anyway, they're not going to know any different. So he stands up. What's the situation for this guy? What are the various scenarios? You need to know this. So he's, uh, number one, scenario number one. He admits he's made a mistake. He admits he's made a mistake. Okay. What would he do then? Stand up anyway. So what would he do? Yeah, go on. So he would stand up. Yeah, well, he has to stand up. He can't do anything else. He can't carry on with a tashahud that doesn't exist. He, so he knows that he's made a mistake. He's not going to tell anyone because he can't tell anyone, obviously. He stands up and then he does sahu at the end. They might turn around and say, what was the sahu for? He'll turn around and say, you know what? I started in my tashahud in the first rakah. What's the second scenario? Second scenario, he blagged it. Can he blag it in any scenario? It depends on timing. Go on, what is it, what is it depending on timing? If he starts Correct. If he started his tashahud, he can't blag it. Because if he starts to say the words of the tashahud, he's entered into a new rukun, he will have to make the sahu at the end. Now let's assume that he hasn't started. Now let's assume he hasn't started his tashahud. He's sitting there, he's about to start, but before he starts, he remembers. What happens now? He just stands up? Okay. So, so, so this is the fuqaha discussed this issue. They said, what is given preference? The inner or the outer? When you're waiting for the imam? Like you meet... Yeah. Another rukan. Yeah. And you're talking about an imam here, right? Who who has forgotten and then it gets or to the or end. Or otherwise. Or otherwise. Yeah, you're right. It's similar to that. Correct. Yeah, it is similar to that. But anyway, this this person now he gets up. The qu there's no doubt he has to get up. The question is, should he pray Sajdah or not? Why not? What does it mean that he didn't start? Didn't say the words. <coughs> Is the intention an act or not? He did intend to do the shahud. That is the end of the story. Or is it? 
The answer to this question is a legal. Is, 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 this, this is a legal question. Is the intention considered, or is the external to considered? Yeah. Give me an example of these mistakes you're making and you'll realize that none of them are in the obligatory or the arkan. They're mostly to do with sunnah. If you make a mistake in a obligatory or rukan inside, you have to, yeah. I mean, it's a case-by-case case scenario. We'd have to explain the case. But what I'm saying here is that this is a discussion. There are some scholars that said it's the outer because the only thing that matters is the outer. And everyone's looking towards the outer. And as if no one's seen any difference to the prayer, why are you creating a situation? The others said that no, the inner is always given the preference. Even though nobody knows that something has happened, you made the intention to start the shahud even though you didn't physically, and so therefore you should. Just to let you know, Muhammad al-Shanqiti, he said that the safest position, which is clear that he believes that it's an acceptable difference of opinion, and of course it is. He goes, the safest position that a, is that a person should do the shahu at the end. That is only for a person who normally sits, and we, we predicated this w with that. You can't, yani, you know, the rest of us can't black that one, no. <laughs> Correct. And we also said if, you, if you're uncertain in your prayer where you're looking and you make a wrong, and then you have certainty after. Yeah, when we, th when we study the chapter of Sahu, okay, you'll realize that one of the categories is that you're not certain about something and then you make a judgment call. Even then you should then do theory. It's just known as the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari that you should make Sahu at the end. Okay? You realize that Mustafiz, by the way, is on his Jack Jones right now. Yeah? <laughs> Yeah, Mustafiz is alone. He's alone. All of his boys have walked out. Okay, <laughs> Mustafiz is our Bengali and a gatekeeper <laughs> in the masjid of what's it called again? Five thousand people. Five thousand people. I, I'll have you know. Don't you dare call it a small masjid. Wash your mouth out. He had many important people in that masjid. What was it called again? Edgware Masjid. Edgware is a huge area. He only had five people that day. On a good day. On a good day. There could be some big people in there. But anyway, he's alone right now. That's what I'm saying. He's alone. So let's see, Annie. Bro, Harris wants to slow down, bro. Right. <coughs> Bring it all down. Let's see, Annie, get... I don't know what's happening here. Imam, Imam swallows it. I don't know what's happening. Imam having a munch. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yalla, you guys knock that out. I'll knock this out. And... Uh, oh, that's open. Yeah. Oh, that's the fizzy one. No, the fizzy one's got kids with pizza. Let's give it to the ladies because they, 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 they don't want to do any outside work today. So. There you go. Right, come down, Allah. All right, see, this is why we have Mesa. Look, we had a big discussion. Chapter 15, lesson 45, okay? <laughs> Worth reviewing, folks, okay? I know you guys are never going to see that in your entire life, but yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Widad also says yeah, that Hashem Kamali has a nice chapter on Ijma'at. Good, like that. Yani, okay, I'm due to start my thingy, but it is always reg irregular. I've been spotting since last Wednesday. One second, Lala. <laughs> you want to slow down, bro? <laughs> but it's always irregular. I've been spotting since last Wednesday, and I carry on praying, but then it became more frequent. My period did not, didn't start properly until after two days, so I, started, so I started praying again, but I keep spotting. I'm not sure whether I need to pray or not, whether I have to make up the salah. I missed you to the spotting and thinking that the flow had begun. Spotting since last Wednesday. 
turn on print, and then it became more frequent. So it's start popping up. So two days so I started turning again. My my period did start properly after two days, so I started praying again. That doesn't make sense. Two days of popping, then it started. What does that mean? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It sounds like but I keep spotting. I'm not sure whether I need to pray or not, and whether I have to make up the salah and mystery for the spotting. Anyway, a simple question is is that the uh, the ruling on this scenario, remember, is based upon your best guess upon according to the circumstances. However, it can't just be so poor that a person is not taking indication. So, for example, if the same characteristics of the spotting is not that of menstrual blood, then it's not acceptable for you just to, you know, just write it off. If it was a clear indicator that this is one's normal menstrual blood, all of the normal smell, thickness, consistency, timing, pain, all of the things that we covered in detail, okay, they are there and you are not praying, that's unacceptable. If there's a real reason to lead you to suggest that this is irregular, wrong time, not, it's too light, etc., 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 then you do not need to make up those prayers. However, now when you look back in hindsight and you realize that it was of the same consistency and type of the period blood itself, then we know even with someone with a period, they can have spotting and that they should not be praying um, uh, uh, during that time. So the ruling is based upon the actual uh, the, the, the characteristics observed. Right. With that, wants to blink me, which is all just all about flipping arthritis <laughs> and needing. This is this is literally what Marina just did. Look at that. <laughs> Ladies make more because we do it from a younger age. Is that true, Marina? I don't know. Right. Good. Because no one in your house is going to accept that behavior, right? Correct. Right. Muhammad, you just want to slow down. Oh, Zahra Muhammad. It's not even Muhammad, is it? It's Zahra Muhammad. Be quiet, you. Right. People just want to slow down. I don't know what's happening. Zahra, you, if that's you lolling, yeah, you better put flipping Zahra Muhammad right down right now. Okay? First name, surname. Mesa, if you believe it is and your imam does not and you actually do it in the jama'ah, then you would be too far. Yeah, we said that. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Hanafis. Yep, thank you, Widad, for that. Listen, this is not good for you boys, okay? I don't want you to be, you know. There's too many dentists here as well. They always, always look at me right in my eyes like I've done something really bad. <coughs> go, there you go. Bismillah. Right, are we done? No. You said it's a sunnah to pray sitting down if the imam is ill. You're saying, you're, you're saying it is a sunnah. Does, not, does, does that not mean that people can pray standing? Well, actually, I said it's sunnah. The reason I said it's sunnah is because only because some scholars differed over it. Those that believe that it to be obligatory, they say that if an imam prays sitting down, you are not allowed to you are doing haram, your prayers are not invalidated, but you are doing haram by praying standing up. That's what I mean by sunnah, meaning that you should do it. You should follow the imam in the prayer. Number of hadith indicators, it's a strong position. It's a strong position. Yep. Making dry in English. Are you kidding me? What on earth is going on? Yeah, she means the language. Just hold on, hold on a minute. I wasn't referring to, I have no idea even what Harish is talking about. All right, it's all good. Yeah, we done that. We done that. We just allowed no problem. Why has he got to make the sajda when he's following an imam? I'm not talking about someone who's following an imam. We're talking about an imam or a person praying by themselves. Okay. 
In my opinion, it's permissible to backbite against non-Muslim. The majority say no. And number two, if your manager asks you for feedback on a colleague, can you backbite against your Muslim colleague? Yes, I believe that that's permissible to be factual only, not backbiting. That's called being factual in a reference. That's, a, that's an exception to the rule. Hour 10, correct. We don't know what's going on because you don't look here to see what we're saying during the class discussion. Absolutely well said, Mesa. I was distracted by gender disparities and that kind of stuff. A uh, question from a male. I work from home. Are you Yanni being cloned here? Yeah. This is unacceptable, isn't it? Farah, we want your surname. I work from home and can therefore pray in the masjid five times a day. Sick. However, it is much more productive for me to work in the town library where I will not be praying in a masjid but a prayer room. Is it preferable for me to continue working from home for this reason? It's more uh, rewarding from a jama'ah point of view to be praying and to be working at home. But I don't think it's preferable. Preferable is based upon the productivity of the day. If your work is better, your work and your income becomes more halal as a result, you don't miss yani, the jama'ah, at least with other people. You ensure that you are maintaining your identity because the identity that's created in a masjid at morning and nighttime is far more important than yani, a congregational prayer just devoid of any other kind of social benefit. So it's a case-by-case -case basis. You can't just answer like that. And is there any sin if you pray when one is bleeding? Sometimes you do not realize you've started your cycle and you pray. No, there's no sin in that case. The sin, and it is haram of the highest order, which is to intentionally pray when you know that you are potentially in a cycle. That is what is not allowed. That is what is not allowed. Uh, what, what announcements? Anything? You need any events? This, that, whatever? Zakumullah khair. Subhanakallahu bihamdika. Shadwallah ilaha 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 il